What if Christmas is actually true? I'm not talking about the date of December 25th or the traditions that we love to celebrate or the fictional characters who populate our Christmas stories. What if angels actually appeared to shepherds and what they told those shepherds is true, that there was born a Savior who is the Christ, who is the Lord. The Savior, that's the name, the meaning of the name of Jesus. Christ, that's, that's the Messiah whom the Jews had longed for, waited centuries, even millennia for. And the Lord, the Lord God, would come to earth as a babe, the Emmanuel that an, another angel spoke of to Joseph. What if Christmas is true? Our Father, we know that only your Spirit can bring home the reality of what not only took place that night, but has been a reality ever since. Meet us this, this day, this night, Lord. Confirm this reality to us. Amen. If this child is God, then like the Magi, we should spare no expense, travel as far as possible to seek him out, and then to fall before him in worship and offer him our greatest treasures, our love, our heart, our obedience, our faithfulness, our very lives. But that was not the response to Jesus then. And often it is not the response to this babe today. He isn't always worshipped. In fact, he wasn't even welcomed at his birth. He wasn't welcomed by the secular or religious rulers of Jerusalem, nor by anyone who had a room in Bethlehem. He was never adorned with royal robes. Instead, he had taken off the robes of divine glory so he could enter this world as you and I. He should be served, but he said he did not come to be served, but to serve others. We should wash his feet, but he washed the feet of his disciples. Though he spoke the wisest and most powerful words ever spoken, many thought that he was out of his mind. Though he performed miracle after miracle, healing the sick, the lame, the blind, the leper, raising the dead, casting out demons, the scribes and Pharisees said that he had a demon.
the author of justice, was convicted in the most unfair trial as false witness after false witness was paraded against him. The ruler of heaven and earth placed his fate in the hands of the prefect of Rome. He was condemned, flogged, spit upon, and mocked to his dying breath, which whispered only words of forgiveness and love. Why why would he who could call down legions of angels to save him subjected him to the hands of these brutal soldiers who crowned him with thorns and nailed his hands and feet to a cross and gambled for his clothing? There's only one answer. It's because he is love. And what's our response to that? His love is beyond our comprehension. We, every day, should bask in that love. And we should allow that love to melt our hearts, to draw us into moment-by-moment love relationship with him and back to God. And if he is Savior then there is no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This means that God not only came to earth to suffer, but his reason for suffering was to take our sin upon him to experience the judgment we deserved so that we might be free from the judgment of God that we so richly deserved. If he is Savior, then he has answered perhaps the biggest question of each person's life. After death, what next? His promise is true. When he said, In my Father's house are many mansions, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I'll take you to myself, and where I am, you will be also. This means that we will spend eternity with our God. It means that God accepts us despite our sin, our selfishness, our self-deception, our resistance to his will, and our desire to usurp his throne in our lives and his glory. We no longer need to pretend to be something we are not, to strive for something we can never earn. We can be honest with God, we can be honest with ourselves, and we can be honest with others. This means that we have the greatest gift to offer to others. We have the message that can bring eternal life, forgiveness, peace, hope, and joy to anyone we'll share it with. 
It means that in Christ we have everything we need. And we have perfect rest in our sovereign God and no matter what happens. Because if he gave his life for us, will he not freely give us anything that is truly needed, that is truly good? We can rest in him. It means that we can never ever be separated from the love of God. Life, nor death, nor power, nor principality, things present or things to come can ever separate us from the love of God. And if he gave his life for us, our response should be that of the Apostle Paul who wrote, the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, then we can know that all the suffering and evil, all the pain and sorrow of this world will one day be vanquished. Israel longed for the day that Messiah would come, defeat Israel's enemies, restore her to her glory, and to bring God's kingdom. But the kingdom that Christ brings is even greater than that. Our world is not as God created it to be. We all know we live in a world that is very broken. We chant, give peace a chance, but wars continue to rage. We sing, all you need is love, but, but even our nation is filled with bitterness and hate. We cry out, let justice roll like water, but life is filled with injustice. We dream that every person should be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And yet, racism persists, even genocide. We look at the evil and suffering in the world, and we even question, can there be a loving God? Our hearts don't line up with the world that we live in. That's because we were made for a different world. This world was broken by our sin. We were created for a world where the ending of fairy tales is truly a reality. And they lived happily ever after. That's what resonates with our hearts. That is the world that the Christ has come to restore. This seems too good to be true, but, but it is. If Christmas has given us the Christ, for his kingdom reverses the curse of sin, death, disease, racism, every form of evil. 
In his first coming, Jesus took our sin upon him so he could ultimately bring his kingdom. And in that first kingdom, he brings that, his first coming, he brings that spiritual kingdom to every believer. The life he offers today is that filled with the fruit of the Spirit, filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. For those Christians who walk with Him, suffering is an avenue for us to become more like Christ. Failure is a time to find that Jesus Christ's grace is sufficient. Even death is a stepping into the presence of God. And in his second coming, Jesus will bring the physical kingdom to this earth and reverse the curse. Listen to the words of Revelation 21. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. One day... Every wrong will be right, made right if Christmas is true. And it is. Luke, who wrote these words about the angel's message to the shepherds, began his book by saying to a friend, I write these things to show you that what I am about to say in this book is historically accurate you can have confidence in what I write. And myriads of scholars have affirmed that. The very heart of the message of Christianity, the foundation and bedrock upon which Christianity falls and rises and falls is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A message that didn't take decades to come out, but appeared within months. Scholars will say appeared within months of the death of Jesus Christ himself. There is objective proof and there is subjective proof because our hearts cry out that the story we are told is beautiful, meaningful, and is life itself. G.K. Chesterton wrote, If I found a key on the road and discovered that it fit and opened a particular lock at my house, I would assume most likely that that key was made by the lockmaker. And if I find a set of teachings set out in pre-modern oriental society that has proven itself of such universal validity that it has fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the best minds in history and the simplest hearts, 
that has made itself at home in virtually every culture, inspired masterpieces of beauty in every field of art, continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the name of Jesus Christ was not even heard. If such teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human souls in so many times, in so many places, are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or a fool? In fact, it's more likely that they were designed by the heart maker. The hope that Christmas holds out to us is real. And our response should be that of the angels who gave that news. When, they, when the angel said, Unto you this day has been born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He said, I bring you good news of great joy. He didn't just say, I bring you good news. He didn't just say, I bring you good news of joy. He said, I bring you good news of great joy. It filled the heart of the angel. It should fill our hearts. Because if Christmas is true, we can't help but proclaim Joy to the world, the Savior, who is the Christ, our Lord, has come.